One of the things that we keep seeing God doing in this section of Isaiah is he's showing his relentless love for his people. Uh, He's showing how much he cares about his people and he continues to call them back to himself. Isaiah 55 had an amazing image of of calling for the people to to come to the waters, a call to the thirsty to find true life and to receive the true waters and true bread that would actually satisfy to stop wearying themselves and laboring after things in this life that would not sustain and would not be true life. And, And what God has been doing in these sections as well is really trying to to expose the people for who they are, to kind of get down to the heart of the matter so that they will understand why they need God and why they need to turn to Him and to forsake their ways and to adopt God's ways. And we see that here in Isaiah 55, as, I mean 58, as we, we see a really an interesting picture. We have a picture here of God calling to them and telling them you have problems. In fact, notice verse 1. Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. So here he tells Isaiah and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just cry it out really loud. Tell them all the sins that they are committing. Do not hold anything back. They have all kinds of sins that need to be addressed. And then you notice what happens in verse 2. Yet they seek me daily and they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Now just stop there for a minute and go, now that doesn't sound like a bad thing, right? He says, here's what I said, preach to them about their sins. And then he says there, they seek me daily. They desire to know my ways. They don't forsake my judgments. They delight to draw near to me. And you go, okay, I'm not following the problem yet. Notice verse 3. Here's what the people say. Why have we fasted? And you don't see it. Why have we humbled ourselves? And you take no knowledge of it. So here they go. We're doing all these things. We're seeking after you. We're we're, we're coming to you. We care about your righteous judgments. We seek you daily. We want to know your ways. And we cry out to you. And you don't answer. And we humble ourselves. The picture's even said there in verse 5. They're bowing their heads and they've got the sackcloth and ashes. Why don't you respond? And it is interesting what God uses here as he describes their problem. Notice how he says it there in the, in the middle of verse 3. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. 
What Isaiah is told to proclaim is he says, list all their sins. And the problem is they look like they care about God. They have all of the externals done. They're fasting. They're praying. They seem to be seeking the Lord. In fact, they're doing so many of these worship things and participating in all of these acts. They can't even understand why God is not responding to them. What a picture. That God says, well, let me tell you what the problem is. And he just sums it up so beautifully with that statement. You seek your own pleasure. You've got all of these things that you're doing that appear to be worship. It appears you're humbling yourself with your sackcloth and ashes and the bowing of the head and doing all these things that look like you care about God, that look like you delight in the Lord. But he says, I know the truth of the matter. I know your heart. And he tells them there, you seek your own pleasure and you use these fasts to do your own things, to carry out your own desires. And what God is then basically saying is, do you think really that's what I wanted? Do you really think that's what I was looking for? Is that the kind of fast that I want that you don't really care about my ways? You don't really care about what I desire. You do not care about the pleasures of God or the delight of God or his ways at all. You just make it look like that you do. You have your fasting, your sackcloth, your ashes. You look like you delight in God. Yes, we care about His righteous judgments. They do all of these external things, and yet God is identifying to them and saying, but your heart's not there. And you have to love the the picture in verse 5. Is it to bow His head like a reed? Is this all that God wants is just you bowing your head like a reed? You get this picture of just this perpetual external act. Yeah, you look like you're bowing down to me. You look like you've got all everything that looks like you care about God. He tells Isaiah, I want you to proclaim it. I want you to describe their sins. I want you to tell them that their pleasure is truly not in God. And they do not care about the things of God, even though they were doing things that were considered extravagant and over the top, like sackcloth and ashes was a tremendous outward statement. Uh, That was a major statement of worship or a major statement of humility and humiliation as you would even do that before God. And he says, I see you doing that, but is that really what I want? Is this all that worship to God sums up is just simply some external things, a few outward acts. And now God is pleased. Is God going to be happy that we've just accomplished some kind of list of things that God would look and say, well, at least you got a few things done. I'm appeased. I'm happy. This is the question he's posing to Israel. Sure, you've got all of these outward acts and you bow the head and you do all these things. But your life is about your pleasure. You desire to seek your own things. You make it look like your desires are for God. You make it appear to everybody that your pleasures and your delights are in God. But truly what it boils down to, as verse 3 says, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You do as you will. You do as you desire. And one of the things that I think we are understanding from the book of Isaiah that that God keeps communicating is the things that Israel was commanded to do. These things were intended to draw people's hearts closer to God. 
These things were not to be boiled down to, well, I did a couple of things. Now God is happy with me. And we should never look at worship or look at service or any kind of aspect of our service before God as, well, now God is happy because I did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever things that we think needed to be done. That's what they had boiled it down to, is these just kind of perfunctory acts that look like we're godly. God is pleased, and now we'll go home and carry on with our day. We've accomplished our fast day, Israel. All right, we're all good. God's God's happy, right? Let's go home. And I think it's important for us to keep that in mind when we think about our worship as well. That our worship is not to be simply, well, let's make sure that we get our prayers in. Let's make sure we get the Lord's Supper done. Let's make sure that we sing and make sure we hear a reading of God's word and we we've given our money. So as long as these things are accomplished, God is pleased and we're done. These things are supposed to draw us closer to God. The prayer is to be the desire of the heart to speak to God. Not, well, we have to do it. It's one of the acts of worship, so we better do it. I want to talk to God. I want to communicate with God. But singing is about, I want to praise God for who He is and what He's done. Our songs this morning about the sacrifice of Christ and drawing our minds and hearts into that. Not because, well, we need to make sure we get four songs knocked out and then God will be pleased with that. But I want to praise God. I want to tell him about his wondrous deeds. I want to offer on my lips thanksgiving and joy for all that he's done. That we partake of the Lord's Supper not as some kind of ritual that, well, we've got to make sure that one's in there too on the Lord's Day. And if we don't do that, but I want to remember the, the, the sacrifice. I want to participate in this memorial. That I want to always call to mind what God has done for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. These things are to draw us closer to God. Not just simply, well, I did these things, now why aren't you listening to me? Why don't you do what I want? And I hope that we will always have a vision of worship in that way. That worship is not, okay, we've got some things we need to get done. Let's try to get them done by 1130 so we can get on with our day. That's what they're saying. We got the fasting done. Now back to our day of pleasure. Let's get back to our regularly scheduled program of all that I want to do and how I want to live my life. That's what verse 3 is saying. In the day of their fast, it's about themselves. It's not about humbling themselves before God. It's about doing what they want to do. In fact, it gets so bad, they're doing what they want to do in terms of oppressing the workers. Verse 3, verse 4, they're quarreling, fighting. Uh, this, he says, this is what a fast looks like. This is the giving of yourself. That it's not just simply that you've accomplished some certain activities before God. And now everything's good with God. And so he tells them that essentially the activity alone is useless before him and that Isaiah proclaim these sins, declare them, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Verse one, cry aloud and do not hold back. These things are useless before God. And now what God does in the rest of this chapter is he's going to give three illustrations of that. He's going to describe what he wants. Here's what I desired is verse five ends. Will you call this fast acceptable? This is not acceptable if we're coming at it in terms of our desires and our pleasures. 
But now he's going to describe, here's what I'm looking for in your life. Here's what I expect to see so that your worship is acceptable before God. Notice it now in verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not and not to hide yourself from your own from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spread. Bring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. So here is the picture that he says, stop the wickedness. If I could just sum that up. Monday matters to God. Here, here they are and you say, well, we're going to keep all of these feasts. We're going to do all these externals. But in the day, all the other days, they weren't living for God at all. They're oppressing, they're fighting, they're quarreling, they're seeking their own pleasures. You see all of these pictures given, even in verses 6 and 7, of how they were treating one another. He says, you have to stop those things. That God wants wickedness to end. And that there is no way for us to live our lives however we choose, however we please on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then get to the weekend and go, well, now I need to start turning my attention to the things of God. Now he goes, that's not going to work. That's not what he wants. He wants a life completely devoted to him. A life that lives for him every moment of every day. Not just on a Sunday in our language or on a Saturday to them. He didn't want their fasting just because, well, it's a Sabbath day. And so now we need to stop for a little while and make God happy. And I'm afraid that too often Christianity has been boiled down to that. Well, as long as you go to church on Sunday, you know, just, you know, hey, I go to church on Sunday. Well, that makes everything OK, right? It's OK as long as that's a, that's that's part of my curriculum in life. As long as I give God an hour or two, now it's all going to be fine. Here he's telling them and saying, that's not what I want. I want a radically changed life. I want a life that is lived every day before God. I submit to you a New Testament parallel uh, of this would be perhaps the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus taught. When the picture is not, now, who is my neighbor so that I can get out of doing all these things that I know that I ought to be doing for the Lord? But how can I be a neighbor to a person? What can I do for them? How can I serve? How can I show Christ to the world? That's the picture that's given here as he uses that in verses 7 and 8 in describing the good that they should have been doing stop the oppression share your bread help the homeless when you see the naked cover him here is a picture of you have to live for God every day and it's not about trying to get out of the requirements of God or trying to sidestep the commands of God but instead a desire to do as God says that we would give of ourselves to God every day and I want you to notice the result that he describes there in verse 8 and also In the beginning of verse 9, one of the strongest ones, he says, Now if you will do those things, verse 9, then you shall call. 
and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. Now God will listen. God is not going to listen to the hypocritical life. Who's not going to listen to someone who's pretending as if we can fool God. Well, we've tricked him. We're here today. Now he's going to be on our side for the next six days and we'll trick him again next Sunday. Right. Like he doesn't know what we're doing. And as if he doesn't know our hearts and our intentions. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. And it's a powerful picture. Notice in verse 8, the very end there, the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. That's a reminder of the Exodus. So the people of, of Israel are leaving the land of Egypt and they are going to the Red Sea before it crosses. We see the glory of the Lord moving to the back to protect and defend them from the coming Egyptians. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. I will be with you. Now I will be in covenant with you. Now you will belong to me. Now you are my people. Now I will listen to you. But you have to give your life every day. It's not just simply one day a week or a couple hours a week. It is a life that is fully given to God. And God says, that's the person I will listen to. That's the worship I'm looking for. That's the heart I desire. And really another beautiful picture, he'll use it twice. The first time we see it here is in verse 8. He says, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Here is this picture. Your light will break forth like the dawn. Now we are being what God has called us to be. Israel was called to be a light to the nations. Now you will be what God has designated you to be. Now you will fulfill your purpose when you give your life to God day in and day out. When you live for Him, not just on a Sunday, but you live for Him tomorrow too. And people see that light and see how you live for God. And they see how you're not oppressing or harming or hurting. You've loosed the bonds of wickedness. He says people will see that your light will shine forth. And that's a great picture. The New Testament is constantly proclaiming how Christ is the light and now we are lights of the world. And how we are to be lights that are shining in a crooked and perverse generation in this darkness. It's a reminder of our calling, a reminder of our purpose. That we live for God every day to show the glory of God and show the goodness of God reflecting Him to the world around us. The first picture then, stop the wickedness, give yourself to God. Second, notice now the middle of verse 9. <clears throat> if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water who water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Second picture. Stop the evil speaking and stop the oppression is how he begins it at the end of verse 9. 
Stop the evil. And then notice what he uses there in verse 10. Pouring out yourself to the hungry. Satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Again, this imagery of caring, of giving of ourselves and caring for others. What can I do to help you? How can I give myself to you? And the reason why this, I think, is really important today, perhaps beyond all days, is because we live in a, in a time, in a culture, in a society right now that places a premium on isolation. Stay away from me. Don't bother me. We don't want to be connected. We don't want to be in each other's business. Don't tell me what's going on with you. We just want to be separate and just kind of be a lockdown to ourselves. And it's easy to fall into that and go, well, I don't have to worry about anybody else but myself. I'm not going to care about anybody else. I'm just going to worry about me. Just take care of yourself. We'll all just take care of ourselves. And here he has this idea, this picture in verses 9 and 10 of looking out. What can I do? How can I care? How can I help? How can I give? What can I do? Again, the parallel would be very much the idea that Jesus would reinforce loving your neighbor as yourself. And the Apostle Paul would say it as well. A picture of I'm going to care for others. I'm going to do for others what I wish would be done for me. I'm going to do what is in your best interest. Here is Isaiah calling for the people of Israel to do that. If you want to have a true worship to God, if you want to be given yourself to God, then care about other people, care about their souls. And that's perhaps... One of our greater challenges as we look at people, not only in this room, about seeing the souls of other people and the care and concern that we have for them. But to recognize as we look out into the world and that we look at people who are steeped in their sins, who are devastated by all of their wickedness, to see that there are souls that need to be rescued, that there are souls that need to be saved, that we will have a care for their soul. And that we will look and see, what can I do about that? What can we do to bring them to the light? What can we do to show them Christ? And to not continue an isolation, well, I'm fine, I'm going to heaven, that's all i got to worry about. But a care and concern for the souls of others. And this is the picture that I think that we see resulting here. Notice what he says is the result in the middle of verse 10. Then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. He uses the same image of the light coming. Then your light will shine. Now you are doing what God has called you to do. Now as you care about souls and share the glory of God with others. Now they will see what you are doing for the Lord and that will change them that will affect them and you will be accomplishing the purpose that God has given you listen to the blessings that God describes here verse 11 the Lord will guide you continually satisfy your desire and scorch places and make your bones strong here are these pictures of blessings that God will continue to be with you and help you and guide you protect you and then notice the end of verse 11 so amazing you shall be like a watered garden okay that that works I like the picture here's blessings again you're going to be cared for by God you are provided for by God God is with you you will be like like a watered garden. But is the purpose so that we can step back and go, hey, well, I've enjoyed the blessings of God. And so here I am all by myself. I'm good to go. Thank you. I've got God. I don't need anybody else. Look how he describes the rest of it. 
He says, you'll be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Now he turns it and says, it's not just simply us consuming the blessings of God. Hey, he's going to be with us and protect us. And isn't it wonderful that we are in a covenant relationship with God? And so we're enjoying all these blessings that God has given us. But he turns it and says, and you will be like a spring of water. He's telling the people, and you will be a blessing to the world. It's not just simply that we consume the blessings of God, but now we use these things that God has done for us. And the enjoyment of our salvation and forgiveness of sins and the hope that we have in Christ to now be the means by which we become springs to the world. That's exactly what Jesus was driving at when Jesus was calling himself the living waters in John 7. What he Notice what he says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's the same picture. Here's Jesus not saying, okay, I'm the living water and you just come to me. Yes, he is the living water and you come to him. But notice the result is that it will cause then this water to flow out of us to the nations, to the world, to the souls of others. He says, this is the kind of worship that I accept. This is the heart that he was looking for Israel to have. To have a concern for others, the concern for their soul, to be the light that was rising in the darkness, to be like the spring of water that was pouring forth to the nations. Third picture, verse 13. If you turn, your, turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasures or talk idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now he turns and he says, stop living for yourself. To stop living for your personal pleasures. Notice he says in verse 13, I want you to live for the Lord to call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. Honor it, verse 13, not going your own ways, seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. Here is this picture of delighting in worship. He says, Israel, I want you to worship and I want you to delight in it. I want you to seek it and enjoy it. Now, that's interesting because back in verse two, it said they thought they did said they delighted in the Lord. And God goes, no, you don't because you delight in your own pleasures. You're doing what you want to do, even though you've got this external act of, yep, we're here for worship and we're doing all these things that it looks like you delight in him. God says, no, I want you to actually delight. I want you to enjoy and worship and see my day as honorable is what he calls for Israel. Now, I think it's important. Top 15 pet peeves of mine. I need to use it here. The Sabbath in the scriptures is not our Sunday. (laughs) Okay, let's put that on the table very clearly. He's telling them about their Saturday, about how they were to worship God. And when they would come together, as the Sabbath was a holy day, to remember that they were slaves in Egypt and became a day of worship to the Jewish people. 
But the application is very strongly there about our desire to worship God. Our desire to delight in Him that we want to pray. We want to sing. We want to remember Christ. We want to do these things. That God is not looking for these things to be done out of some kind of obligation. But out of a desire for Him that we will desire to honor Him. That we desire to speak to Him. That we desire to sing these praises to Him. And that we would never have our worship be a let's get it over with attitude. Most of just a few weeks ago, we had Valentine's Day. Fellas, how, how, how do we do all that? You know, Valentine's Day. And so you probably bought flowers. I bought flowers. Everybody's got to buy flowers. They raised the prices four times higher for one day. But we all buy flowers. And I'm sure what you did is you gave her the card and the flowers and you wrote in the card, Happy Valentine's Day because I have to. <laughs> it's February 14th and I don't want to be in trouble. Right? No. You either wrote something out on the card about your appreciation love or found the card that said those kinds of things that reflected how you felt and what your spouse meant to you. Obligation doesn't work. It doesn't work to say, here, honey, it's February 14th. Enjoy. Because I had to. And God doesn't accept it either. We cannot think that, oh, well, we're here. God's pleased. Well, it doesn't matter that I hate every minute of this moment. It doesn't matter that I really want to get out of here right now. It does matter to God. God cares about the heart. He cares about our motivation. He cares about our worship. And it's not supposed to be obligation. And I would say it like this. If the reason we're here is because we think it is commanded of us that I have to be here, then our hearts are just like these people. We're not here because we have to. Yeah, it's the Lord's Day again. Man, I can't believe it's Sunday. That stinks. I mean, all right, I get myself ready and have to get up. That's not what God wants. God does not accept it. That is not delighting in God. That is not worship of the heart. That is obligation and duty that God does not want. Notice the result. He says, I want you to delight in these things. And when you delight in the Sabbath, he describes, when you delight in this worship, verse 14, he says, then you will delight in the Lord. I find that really interesting, that explanation. If you will delight in the Sabbath and honor my holy day, And stop taking pleasure in yourself, but enjoy that worship. He says, then you will delight in the Lord. And the scriptures tell us that picture again and again, where Jesus would even say that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. We must come to delight in God. And to enjoy the worship of God. And I think the important thing that we need to spend the next couple minutes talking about then is how do we do that? How are we going to come to delight in the worship of God? To enjoy reading the scriptures? To enjoy singing to God? 
to enjoy giving our lives to God like we've seen in this text, that we want to help others, care for others, give ourselves to others, to be lights to the world, to love souls. How can we get that kind of delight that God is looking for? Let me illustrate that in a couple of ways. Some of you know that I enjoy watching football. This is my morning season right now as I wait for September to come back, right? You know, we miss football. When I first watched football as a child, I did not watch the first game of my life and go, well, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, how I love football. I will always watch it from now to the day that I die because I watched one game. It doesn't work like that. I invested time learning about players, learning about teams, learning about divisions and how it all plays out. You invest yourself and you invest your time into it. You learn about it and you begin to understand it and you delight in it. Now it becomes a joy. I never go, oh man, there's a football game in the afternoon. I really hate that. No, I'm like, all right, there's a football game and I'm excited because I've invested myself into that. And I've learned to enjoy it and I've learned to like it. I submit to you the first time I read the scriptures, I did not read the scriptures and go, well, that was the most fun thing I've ever done in my life. Reading that paragraph, I mean, that was bar none the most exciting thing ever. It wasn't that way. But you invest time, you keep reading, you keep learning, you keep understanding, and the desire grows. And the delight increases so that now it has become for me such a joy that I don't not want to do it. I have a Bible next to my nightstand so I can read some before bed because it is a delight to me, it is a joy to me. And it's painful not to read because it's so enjoyable to me now. But it didn't start there. It started as duty, responsibility, obligation. I guess I've got to read this. Worship starts that way. I don't think the first time I can remember coming to services, my parents made me come. I don't think I was like, yippee, we're all going to church today. You know, I don't think it worked like that. I don't remember being that kid. Even though my dad was preaching, you're like, yeah, dad's preaching. Okay, listen to dad again. Okay, here we go. Why is worship enjoyable now? You invest your time. You invest your mind. You invest your heart. You give yourself to it again and again, and you see the joy, you see the delight, and now it becomes the point where there's nothing else I'd rather do. I don't care what's going on in my life. I don't care what's happening. I want to do this because it is so enjoyable. It is a delight to me to do it. This is what it takes to have passion for something is we invest ourselves. We invest our time. We give ourselves. We give our heart. We give our mind. And if we come here Sunday after Sunday and it's just sit here, let's get it done and get it over with. You will never enjoy this ever. It will be like my wife watching a football game. She doesn't give any time to it. She's not invested to it. And it's like, why do you like that? Because you haven't tried really and we do that with God well why don't I enjoy this worship have you given yourself to it have you given your mind and your heart and your time have you invested yourself into it to learning the ways of God to learning the scriptures because as you do it will be a delight and that's what God had said 
And that's why you could have David say such words that the word of God is is like the drippings of honey, like the honeycomb coming down. It's the sweetest, most enjoyable thing. Well, how do you get there? Invest your time. He's calling for them to do that. Enjoy the Sabbath is what he says in verse 13. Turn your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on the on my holy day. And call the Sabbath a delight. Honor it. Not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasures or talking idly. Give yourself to reading your scriptures every day. Give yourself to praying every day. Give yourself to singing. Give yourself to the worship. And over time, as you truly invest your mind and your heart and your time, it becomes a delight. And that's what he says in verse 14. They invest their time in these things. Verse 14 You shall take delight in the Lord. This will be something you can enjoy. Let's end with this then. Practical atheism looks like this. We look the part, but we don't invest our arms. We're doing everything. We look like we are fantastic Christians. All the externals are lined up beautifully. It looks like we delight in God. But he says there is no fruit. You're not doing the things that God has said. We must live for God every day. It must affect us inside and out. Not just, well, it looks good today, but it comes from the heart. It comes from a desire of God that we live for God today and on Monday and on Wednesday and on Friday, even when it's not convenient because God is our joy. But practical atheism is avoided when we invest ourselves. And we use these acts of worship to draw our hearts closer to God. I submit to you that's why we have these things. Is these things are not to be like a ball and chain around our foot. But become the joy that we experience as it draws us closer and closer to God. As we invest ourselves into those things. So that it will become to a point that I'm not trying to get out of it. I'm not trying to avoid it. I'm not trying to shortchange it. But I want to be here and I want to have Bible studies and I want to enjoy the Word of God and I want to enjoy all the worship that are in, that there is. And I don't need a command about it. Well, He didn't command Wednesdays. I don't care because I delight in it. That's the result. I enjoy the things of God. The Word of God is delicious and it is enjoyable and that's all I want to do. God said... We can have that joy. And that's the kind of heart he's looking for in his followers. And I submit to you, if you're not there yet, to take courage, invest. Invest your time. Invest your heart. Invest your mind. And the passion will come. The joy will come. I know from experience. I had no joy, no passion, Black letters on white page. Had to, preach your kid, had to do it. All rules and regulations. Give your time. Give your mind. Give your heart. It'll be the passion. It'll be the joy. And you will desire God more than anything else. You pull your song books out. We'll sing the invitation song. And we invite you to come to Jesus. We invite you to see Him as a delight. To see Him as glorious. To see Him as a joy. That there is nothing more enjoyable than being in a relationship with your God and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Will you turn away from your sins? This is what he's calling for the people. It's not just simply here, here, you've come to worship. Now stop wickedness. Turn away from sin. Stop living for self. Stop living for our own pleasures and our own delights and live for God. But here's what's so amazingly blessed by what God has done. As God says, if you will live for me, it becomes your joy. You will delight in the things of God. It doesn't feel like that at the beginning. But give your heart, give your mind, give your life to Christ. It becomes a joy that will become the love of your life as you serve your Lord every day. Turn away from your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. You ready to be in a relationship with Jesus? Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?